Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, October 22nd, a beautiful day, and we are broadcasting live from the northwest side of Chicago. My name, my name is David Canfield, and I'll be your host for this hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us an email at notes at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to past editions of this program, you can click on the uh, media tab on our website. And under the uh, podcast link there, you can access the uh, podcast of the past programs. So uh, this morning, I just wanted to begin with a, a prayer that the Lord would really help us uh, open up his word in a, in a way that's so profitable to the saints. We'd really redeem the time. <clears throat> Father, we just give this time to you. We just ask for your blessing, for your anointing, for the utterance that we need to really uh, come into this topic of how we can be your followers, your real followers in this time. Open your word to us, Lord. Really speak something. Shame the enemy. May your uh, word go forth in this whole metro area through the podcast later on. Lord, we long that you would be glorified. Your children would really rise up to seek you anew for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I did have, I had a lot of consideration about what to cover this morning. And uh, uh, it went through a few different phases. But eventually I just had some feeling to consider what does it mean to really be a follower of Christ? How can we follow Christ today? And that's it's not, a, not a simple topic. And there's a lot of thoughts about that. And people would say, to follow Christ, you need to do this, you need to do that. You should be a member of this church or this organization. But the first thing we need to do to be a follower of Christ is we need to hear what, what he says about what it means to follow him. What does he say about what it means to be a follower of Christ? And that's really what we want to consider in the, in the first part of this program. What is the Lord's word? What does he say about what it means to be a follower of Christ? <clears throat> you know, as I was thinking about this and considering it, I was, I was reminded of uh, Hebrews chapter 10, where it's talking about uh, the Lord's uh, coming to offer himself for our sins. And uh, one thing I should say, I have a little little bit of a cold. Or I'm maybe just getting over a cold, so uh, I hope I don't sound too bad over the radio. But uh, uh, I hope you can uh, can get past that. But in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses uh, 5 through 7, <clears throat> the writer says, uh, When he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So Christ came. He came to do the will of God. He did not come directly to take the cross. In a sense, you could say he came to go to the cross. But in a deeper sense, his desire, his whole heart was to come and to do the will of God. And that's why, by the way, he could pray in the garden. He could say, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So he could ask the Father to take away the cup of the cross, but he would never ask the Father to set aside his will because he came to do his, the Father's will. 
So once he was clear that the cross was the Father's will for him, then that's when he rose up and he went to the cross. But he came to do the Father's will. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 10. But the writer of Hebrews, uh, in, the, in that passage, he's actually quoting from uh, Psalm 40 uh, in verses uh, 6 through 8. And uh, it's quite striking because uh, though he's quoting the, uh, the Psalms, there's a very, very significant difference between what's, how it's recorded in Psalm 40 and how it's recorded in Hebrews 10. And I'm assuming the difference is because probably the writer of Hebrews was using the Septuagint and what we read in our, in our Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible. And you have to believe those differences are there under the Spirit's inspiration because it's bringing out something and helping us to understand a different aspect of, what, what he want, of the truth that he wants to convey. So listen to how it's uh, spoken in the, in, the, in the original quotation in the Psalms. This is Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. He says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. That's the key difference. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. And he goes on. The rest of it's pretty much the same. The key difference is that in Hebrews, the writer says, A body you have prepared for me. But in the Psalms, that's Psalm 40, verse 6. Instead of saying that, it says, My ears you have opened. So the first thing, when he came to do the Lord's will, to go to the cross, the first thing, according to the Psalms, was that his ear was opened. His ear was opened to hear God's word. You know, he came as a servant of God to do the Lord's will. But to know the Lord's will, the first thing is, you have to hear what that will is. You have to understand what God's will is. So again, he did not come specifically to take the cross. He came to do the Father's will. And for that, his ear had to be opened. And it's quite interesting. There's even Psalm 40, as the Hebrews, book of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40. But Psalm 40 seems to be referring back to uh, the book of Exodus. And, you know, right, the, Moses gave the Ten Commandments, or Moses received the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Then in Exodus chapter 21, the very first thing after that, it talks about a servant. <coughs> Excuse me. It talks about a servant and how a servant, if you get a Hebrew slave, they serve you for seven years and then they go out free. But sometimes the servant, especially because his family was with the master, he says, no, I don't want to go out free. I want to be with my master forever. So then uh, in uh, Exodus 21, uh, verses 5 and 6, it says, But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. And it doesn't mean he actually stuck the all into his ear, but um, surely into his earlobe, into the door. And that signified that his ear was opened. Like what the psalmist says, my ears you have opened. That's what enabled him to be his slave forever because he heard the master's word. That's the first thing of a slave. You hear the master's word. And in our serving of Christ, in our following of Christ today, the very first thing is to hear his word. Now, I want to make a, a little parenthesis here to take this opportunity um, to remind the listeners uh, that if we want to follow Christ and if we want to hear his word, 
it's so crucial for us to develop the habit of reading the Bible day by day. You just can't overstate how important that habit is. And practically speaking, to be very practical about about it, to develop that habit, we should have a resolution that we're going to read through the Bible every year. Once a year, we're going to read through the Bible. Again, just being very practical here about hearing the Lord's Word, because he speaks to us through the Bible. If we're not in the Bible for ourselves, reading the Bible for ourselves, very hard for us to really uh, hear the Lord speaking. We may go to conferences, we may hear messages, we may get something there, but we'll have a much richer uh, hearing ability if we're in the Bible ourselves day by day. Every Christian should have that habit. Now, maybe some people can't read through the Bible every year. Mothers with young children, of course, have so much they have to take care of. Maybe every other year, but I would say at least every other year. A very simple way to do that, if you want to go through the Bible in a year, is uh, to read three chapters in the Old Testament and one chapter in the New Testament every day. Uh, That's called the three-in-one method. Three chapters in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament. That will get you through the Bible in just about 300 days. So if you take that method and you read the Bible six days a week and you take the rest on the Lord's Day, so to speak, uh, that will get you through the Bible in almost exactly a year. That's a very simple way to do it. And there's other methods. Uh, I have a website, 90readings.org, the number 90 and then the word readings.org. And there's a card there that breaks down the, the Bible into 90 readings, which is pretty unique. And you can use that. But, but however... You, Whatever way works for you, the the important thing is to have this habit of reading the Bible day by day. And I like to follow the practice which Watchman Nee uh, said to do, is when you finish reading the Bible, every time you finish a reading of the entire Bible, then write down the date where you finished that in your Bible. And that way you're accountable. You can see, you make yourself accountable for what you said you were going to do. You can see how many times you've read through the Bible. I've, I've been doing that since the year 2000. And uh, so far, I've read through the Bible uh, 20 times in that time period. And uh, uh, this year, right now, I'm in the book of Job, but I've already finished up the New Testament. So that leaves the Psalms and the Prophets. So I'm, I'm hopeful I can, I can finish up by the end of the year. If not, it'll be like early January. Uh, and I have to say, I haven't always been that consistent in reading through the Bible every year. But a, a, few year, a couple years ago, I read through the Bible several times to try to catch up. So I can say I've read through it. Uh, the same number, you know, however many years there are since the year 2000, I've read through the Bible that many times. But we should just, I just say all this to encourage you to have that habit for yourself of reading through the Bible day by day. Just can't overstate how crucial that really is because that really gives the Lord a way to speak to us and we can hear, hear the Lord's word. Then we can, then our ears will be open to hear what the Lord is saying to us. So, uh, really encourage you to try to develop that habit. <clears throat> Okay, so that just that's the end of the little parentheses there. But the point of that, of course, is that we can hear the Lord's word. And we have to keep that principle. If we want to follow Christ, we need to be those who hear the Lord's word. So now let's come and let's consider what the Lord himself says about what it means to follow him. And this is a verse, these are the verses that really inspired me to... Uh, Consider this this topic of following Christ. It's John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. And I'll just read those verses. This is when the uh, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's very shortly before uh, he goes to the cross. And there were some Greeks who had come up to the feast. 
and these Greeks came to one of Jesus's disciples, uh, Philip, and uh, and said, "We want to see Jesus." And so Philip went to Andrew. <clears throat> Together they went to Jesus and said, "There's." Uh, 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 they said uh, they told Jesus that some Greeks wanted to see him. And so Jesus answered, and it's kind of a strange way. We, we may not understand the meaning of the Lord's word here, but he, he says, when he heard that, he said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. That's John 12, 23. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him will my father honor. So here the Lord, he shows us what it means to follow him. Now he likens himself here to a grain of wheat that needed to fall into the ground and die. When Andrew and Philip came to him and said, <clears throat> the Greeks want to see you, that's when Jesus said, now I have to be glorified. His meaning is, yes, okay, maybe I can meet a few of these, these ones who want to come and see me. But for the Greeks, for the Gentiles, the world over to see me, to really know who I am, for that I have to be glorified. And to be glorified... I have to fall into the ground as a seed and die so that the life that's within me can be released in resurrection to produce the many grains. Just like when you put a grain of wheat into the ground, if a grain of wheat just stays on its own, it's in your hand or on the countertop, it's all by itself. That's what the Lord's saying. If a grain of wheat uh, uh, remains alone, uh, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So long as it's by itself, it remains alone. But if it falls into the earth and dies, so to speak, the soil is going to begin to work on the husk of that seed, and the germ of life within that seed is going to begin to be activated. And eventually it will break out of that husk, and what's going to come forth is a stalk of, of wheat with much fruit in resurrection, so to speak. It's a real picture of resurrection. And the Lord was saying that's the process he had to go through for the, to be glorified so that the Greeks could really see him. And of course, that's exactly what happened. He went to the cross, he died, he came forth in resurrection, and be, through in resurrection, the, the Greeks, the Gentiles all over the world have seen who Jesus really is. It was because he went into the ground and died and came forth in resurrection. You know, Isaiah 53.10 is, is really a, uh, a remarkable verse in the Old Testament. Of course, Isaiah 53 is the chapter where uh, we have this remarkable prophecy regarding the death of Christ. And uh, I've mentioned it before. If you're not familiar with that chapter, I, I really encourage you to read that for yourself. And you, you realize only, only, only God could have written this book with such a remarkable prophecy about the Lord's death. But Isaiah 53.10 makes a remar remarkable statement. It says, in speaking of the Lord's death, uh, the prophet writes, it pleased God to crush him. Literally there, it's, it pleased Jehovah to crush him. And some, some translations, they, they translate that differently. They say it, 
uh, was the will of the Lord to crush him because they're, they're not comfortable with saying it pleased Jehovah to crush him Be- because he can't understand. How could you possibly say it pleased Jehovah to crush him? But that's what the Bible says. And to be honest, that's exactly what the Bible means. Now, for sure, it was not pleasing to the father to see his son suffer. The suffering was not pleasing to the father at all. Of course, he just it cost him so dearly to give up his son. However, the crushing itself was pleasing to the father. That itself was very, very pleasing to God. <clears throat> because it was only through that crushing that the divine life that's in Christ that was in Christ through the incarnation could come forth in resurrection to produce the many grains, the many sons of God. That's who we are. And that's what God wanted. He wanted that life that was within Christ to be released in resurrection. So the crushing itself was pleasing to the Father. The word there, it's, uh, uh, that's what it means. It's uh, uh, pleasing, to delight. It's like when uh, it says, Jonathan delighted in David. It's the same word, the same Hebrew word. So that aspect of the Lord's death was pleasing to the Father because through that crushing, the divine life was released. So then after that, in verse 25, he says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You know, he is, he, that, he's applying that word to us, but he was the first one who experienced that. He did not hold on to his life in this world. He was willing to lay that down so that he could come forth in resurrection and keep it unto eternal life. Through the resurrection, his humanity was uplifted. And so he experienced exactly what he's talking about here. He let go of his natural human life that he had through the incarnation and entered into a new uh, stage of existence through the resurrection so he could enter into glory as a man with the Father. Praise the Lord for that. That's what he's saying here. Don't hold on to your life on this earth. Let that go. Allow my life to work within you so you can come forth in resurrection just as I have. And then in t- verse 26, that's where he says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. What is he saying here? <clears throat> If we really want to serve Christ, if we really want to follow him, it means we go through that same process of death and resurrection that he went through. That's what it means, ultimately, to really follow Christ. You know, we read this, we may read, um, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat goes to the mission field, or we may read that unless a grain of wheat goes to Bible school, uh, unless a grain of wheat opens a soup kitchen, right? Well, I don't know whether you should do any of those things or not, but, but that's not the, the basic fundamental principle. The fundamental principle is unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. That has to happen. We have to really experience the Lord's death so that something of his resurrection life can also work in us and bring us forth in resurrection. That's why he says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me and where I am, there my servant will be also. Now, there's a, there was a sister, to give an example of this, 
there was a sister in uh, right around 1900, and she was a missionary to China. Her name was Emmy Barber, and she was really an example of one who fell into the, the ground and died. And she, uh, she wrote to him. She was just there laboring in China, and it seemed like maybe there wasn't much produced through her life or through her labor. But she wrote this hymn, this poem, and let me uh, just read this to you. It's, it's so touching. But it seems like she's referring to what the Lord's talking about here in John 12, John chapter 12. She writes, Buried, yes, but it is seed from which continents may feed. Millions yet may bless that day when the seed was laid away. Buried, hidden, out of sight, dwelling in the deepest night, losing underneath the sod everything except its God. So we like to be, a lot of times we like to be manifest. We like to be up front. We like to be on the stage. But the seed is buried. The real seed is buried, as she says here, buried, hidden, out of sight, dwelling in the deepest night. Sometimes that's where the Lord's going to put us. We don't know, but we have to be prepared for that, to fall into the ground and die, just like the Lord says in John 12. She goes on, buried, unremembered, lost. So thinks man, but all the cost God has counted to display life abundant one glad day. Praise the Lord. If we go into death, if we really experience this death the Lord's talking about, eventually, just as was the case with the Lord himself, there will be a release of the divine life through us, and there will be much fruit born because of that. So the last verse of, the, of her hymn reads, Art thou buried, God's pure seed? Does thy heart in silence bleed? Change thy sighing into song. Thus alone can harvest come. Praise the Lord. Very, very touching hymn. She really wrote that out of her experience. Because she was laboring there in China, and it didn't seem like much was produced. But eventually, a young man came to her. And that young man was named Watchman Nee. And she is the sister that raised up Watchman Nee to serve the Lord. Really something. Later on, he testified about her. He said, I never met anyone in West, all of Western Christianity who could compare uh, with Emmy Barber in terms of her spiritual depth. She was really a unique sister, and she raised up this one brother. That's all she really did. And, of course, his ministry, his ministry has been a blessing to so many Christians for generations all over the world. But it was because she was raised up by the sister who was willing to be a seed to fall into the earth and die. So, and as I was looking at these verses... In John 12, I never realized before how much they relate to what the Lord tells us in Matthew chapter 16 about following him. It's a very similar thought. It, it seems like Matthew 16 is explaining a little bit what the Lord is talking about here in John 12. So again, I'll just, let's just read those verses in Matthew 16. Uh, this is when Peter uh, uh, had, had recognized Jesus as the Christ and... Uh, then he, he, uh, the Lord told him, you're, you're our, uh, Peter on this rock. I will build my church. Uh, and then he began to tell them he had to go to the cross, and Peter wasn't happy about that. So he, he told the Lord, no, that's not going to happen to you. Then uh, the Lord turned to Peter. This is Matthew 16, verse 23. And he said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
So here's the Lord is talking again about following him. For whoever, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here in, John, in Matthew 16, he has the same statement, same basic statement that he has in John 12. If you want to keep your life in this world, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it, that's when you're going to find it in resurrection. And he also says that this is how you follow him. If anyone, and listen to what the Lord says here. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So this statement you have to understand in the context of Matthew. And what we see at the beginning of Matthew is when Jesus came forth to minister, the very first thing he did was to be baptized. That was to deny himself. He was saying, when he was baptizing, baptized, he was saying, <clears throat> I'm not going to serve the Father by my own natural capability, by what I can do, by what I think is right. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be, uh, not just at the, at the end of the life, my life, but at the very beginning of my life, Uh, and even especially when I begin to come forth to minister, I'm going to put myself on the altar, put myself on the cross. I'm going to deny who I am and what I can do so I can follow what God wants me to do. Well, if Jesus needed to take that kind of a stand, how much more do we need to take that kind of a stand? Of course, he was sinless. He didn't have the sin nature like we do. He was pure. He was absolutely committed to God. But he still denied himself completely. And he was giving us an example of what it means to deny ourselves. So in the same way, he says, so when he says here, if anyone wants to come after me, if we want to take this way, we have to deny ourselves. That's the first thing. Deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow him. We have to deny ourselves. The first thing, the order here is very significant. The first thing is to deny ourselves. The reason why I mention that is so often, and probably almost all the time, we get the order the wrong way. We would read this, uh, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me and deny himself. Practically speaking, very often, that's how it works out. You know, we, we thought, we think, well, the way I'm going to deny myself is I'm going to go to the mission field. It's not really what I want to do, but I'm going to do it, and uh, that's how I'm going to follow Christ. But there's not that initial denying of yourself that's setting aside of what you can do and really having that uh, uh, realization that we can't do anything apart from Christ. That's what the Lord says in John uh, 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? I think it's John 15, verse 5. Right? We have to have that realization. Then we can take up the cross and follow him. But if we, if we get the order wrong, we're, there's always going to be a dissatisfaction. If we try to take up the cross without denying ourselves. we're going to find out eventually it doesn't work. And then eventually the Lord may, through that, the Lord may bring us into some experience of what it really means to, to deny ourselves. But the normative way, the way it should be, and, and, and again, as I say, for most of us, myself included, probably it isn't this, it hasn't been this way. But the way it should be is first we deny ourselves. We deny who we are. We deny what we can do. Then we take up the cross and then we follow Christ. Praise the Lord. So this is uh, 
the Lord's, a very basic introduction to the Lord's word about what it means to follow him. And all we can do in this brief period is try to impress upon uh, those who are hearing this of the need we have to deny ourselves and to fall into the ground as the Lord did. And that's the beginning of what it really means to follow Christ. I would put it this way. In a very basic sense, to follow Christ is not so much about doing, it's about dying. It's not about doing, it's about dying. Dying to who we are, dying to what we can do, dying to what we think is right and wrong, and allowing the Lord to do something for us in resurrection. There'll be plenty of doing. Once we've entered into that experience of the Lord's death, for sure there's going to be more than enough doing in resurrection. But what frustrates the Lord so often is that as our efforts to do things by ourselves apart from him, uh, by our own natural strength, that's what really frustrates the Lord. So he has to bring that into death so that what, uh, something of his life can come forth in resurrection. And we have to see this basic fundamental principle uh, of following Christ. It means taking the cross and going through this process of resurrection, death and resurrection, just as he did. That's what it means to really follow him. And we need to seek the Lord to show us and to grant us a revelation of what that means. That's the first basic principle we have to see um, in this matter of following Christ. Praise the Lord. So uh, that's uh, going to do it for this uh, segment. In the next segment, we're going to bring on Brother Mark Jordan from Goshen again. And this time we're going to try to define a little bit. Uh, what does it mean to deny ourselves? Uh, how can we practically enter into that experience of denying ourselves? And that, of course, it involves suffering, to be sure. Uh, but it's not all about suffering. It's not suffering for an end in itself. But we need to, that's what we'll be uh, considering in the next segment. So we will be back with you on the other side of the break. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And again, I have a little bit of a cold. I hope that has not been too much of a distraction, but... Um, but now we're going to bring on Brother Mark Jordan from Goshen, who's been on the line here. Mark, are you there? Yes. Great. Okay. You sound good on my end. I know you were saying you were having a little problem on your end. Is that still there? So. Um, 
Is it? There's a little echo, but I, I can okay. live with it. Okay, no, you sound really good here on this end. Okay. Well, praise the Lord. Well, Mark, you've been uh, listening uh, uh, to the first half of the program. I just wanted to see, uh, first of all, if you have any thoughts or comments about anything that uh, that I was sharing there. Uh, well, yeah, you gave a lot of, uh, you laid out a lot of hooks for me to grab. <laughs> And um, it's like a guy they used to call trotline fishing. That's I learned this when I taught the book Huckleberry Finn. And trotline is you put a, a line into the water with 20 hooks on it and worms, and then mm. you just go home and just dangles, and you come back and see if you caught anything. <laughs> you laid out 20 hooks, and oh, a Lord. lot of thoughts came to me. Even I had some prepared some notes, but as you were speaking, a few um, a new points came to me. One of them is I, I appreciate what you said, and I always feel convicted when you speak about this. And to the listener, Dave speaks about this to me sometimes, the matter of reading through the Bible in a year. And um, my wife does it every year, and uh, I don't. And it's to my shame, but it's really hard. I think I've done it once in my life. So if I had my Bible and if I had done Watchman's practice of dating that, I'd go back and find that date, and I would be ashamed with that one date. But even still, I want to encourage people like me in the audience, because sometimes when you get a word, especially on this topic of denying the self, it can crush you. You can't do it. And you just it just seems like too heavy a burden. And so I remember years ago, we had a, a Bible study in our house. It was weekly. And one of the sisters said she just couldn't consistently read the Bible, and she felt very condemned. And I had just so happened to have that same feeling, so I had begun a practice of, of making a commitment to read one verse a day. I thought if I could just commit to one verse, not one chapter, not three, three to one ratio, one verse, I thought, can I do that? I mean, I know I can read it. I know I could find the yeah. time. It wasn't a problem there. But my thought was if I did it, then I would get into the habit of opening the Bible every day. Yeah, maybe maybe and that's I a good it. way to start, Mark. Yeah. And I did it. But anyway, this sister took my word, and she uh, it kind of gave her hope. And uh, I've never, in all the times I when I was doing it in that period, I never read just one verse. I don't think I ever read less than a chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I told myself, even if I could only do one verse, I had kept my commitment. So I think sometimes we we have to deny ourselves, find something within our weak uh, state that we can do. And and it's you know, it's like you just give that little one little two fish five loaves and two fishes seems like a small amount of food for a crowd of the thousands, but if you give it, it can be multiplied. And so I think that's true of of self-denial messages, I think, um, anyway, I appreciated that. And I think even as you spoke, Dave, one of the things I really believe about following the Lord is, let His Word, when it's hard, come in. Mm. You said about listening, putting your ear to the doorpost, I, I agree with that. I say amen. Let any hard word just come in and do its work. Very good. Yeah. Don't try to. Don't try to do it. The Bible's full of hard words. Years ago, I read the book of Luke, and as I was reading through the the book of Luke in that period, I was struck how it was almost like a pendulum effect from a hard word to an easy word. I like the easy words. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. But I I didn't like the hard words. uh, But it would go back and forth, and I really realized the Lord was training us in that. There's two sides to following him. One is very pleasant and very easy. 
and very doable. And the other seems impossible. And so he, he very graciously leads us like a shepherd leads a sheep to the, to the place we can be. So anyway, um, those are some of my early thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think that's I, guy, I appreciate it too. You're, you're saying about maybe in Bible reading, it, it can be daunting for some people to think about that. So maybe, maybe in that case, just start with a little bit. Maybe, like you say, even a chapter a day or, or less than that. Just, just start somewhere. And set set a goal for yourself and keep the goal. So that might, that's I appreciate your your uh, kind of speaking that word, Mark. Yeah. Well, so. yeah, and even like you, I noticed, did the audience notice Dave could only narrow that down to a chapter? <laughs> this is Dave's nature, audience. So I know Dave. <laughs> but for me, I think I want. Well, to I did say or less than that. I did. I did. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I noticed you were. Yeah. Buck killed you to do it, but you did. <laughs> But I would say you maybe missed my point a little bit. My point was to develop a habit of opening the Bible. Hmm. Oh, very good. And, okay. um, good. And that can be a key in. Okay. So when you start with read this many chapters, it's not, you know, but I'm saying get into the habit of sitting in a chair with yeah. a Bible and opening it up every day. Very good. Yeah. And right. so if yeah. it takes you, if you have to tell yourself, I only have time for one verse, I only have strength. We have a song that someone wrote back in the 70s, you know, with when I woke this morning with only the strength to, with the, without the strength to read one verse. That song always struck me as somebody wrote that. Well, I was honest. You know, when I hear the song, <laughs> yeah. when I hear the song, I surrender all. One time my wife and I were walking by a church in, in our town and we heard them singing. It was, I was impressed. It was a min, midweek service. Hispanic church, and they were singing I Surrender All, and I enjoyed it. But I have always had this joke. If we could just sing it this way, be more honest, I Surrender 10%. But it doesn't, the music's not, the poetry isn't quite <laughs> It would be hard to fit that, yeah. I love Jacob. See, that was Jacob. When he had his experience there, he said he'd give 10%. Right. And that was pretty honest. Now, did he? I don't know. But by the end, he did. He gave it all. Yeah, that's right. He's a changed man. Yeah, really solid. So start with 10%, start with one verse, whatever. And uh, so that's one point I want to make. Then, I'm, while you were speaking, especially near the end here, it just came to me. You know, how do we deny ourselves? You said deny yourself, then take up the cross. I like that. That was a good point and an interesting point. I hadn't noticed the the sequence. But um, a mother who has a baby, and I we have three children. Had three children. My wife was an excellent mother. She will at three in the morning. Maybe been been three weeks in a row without getting one two hour stretch of sleep, and that baby cries. Guess what? She just reacts and gets up. It's in her. This is a real picture of denying yourself. Yes, because right. she wants to sleep, and the baby cries, and so she'll put aside her desire and serve the baby because she loves the baby. This to me is a real picture of how to deny yourself. You have something there that you that, that you love. Paul said in Colossians, set your mind on things above. So a lot of times when we consider the Lord and consider the Bible even, we need to see this picture of this end game, a goal. Paul said, you know, he was wanted a crown that was not corruptible. And uh, yeah. we need to see, and then the words, we need to think, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Just to hear that that might be waiting for you can really motivate and then you start it's like you start with the goal the goal is these these higher things that are really being almost unspeakable they're so 
so rich and so pure. And we set our mind on these things. And then, once having done that, to deny the self, well, that's just part of the process. It's like an entrepreneur, he starts a, a, say a guy starts a hardware store in a small town on the main street. He's there from 6 in the morning till midnight, sweeping the floor at midnight, goes home, doesn't get enough sleep, comes back the next day and does it again. If before he did that investment, some older person told him, you're going to be working 18 hours a day, you're going to be exhausted all the time, you won't make a profit for five years, he might not do it. But instead, if he looks at a successful entrepreneur that he knows and sees how he has done well in life and produced a good life for his family and has a successful business, he will dive into it. And the reason he will make those commitments to deny himself and and stay till midnight sweeping that floor is because he has a goal. He sees an end game. And so to deny the self, really, I think to some degree is impossible. I think if you you, uh, try to deny yourself, you will fail. I think it's guaranteed. And, um, but... If you if you lay your hands and set on Christ, or Amen. lay your hands on something higher, something nobler, Amen. something heavenly, you will find yourself denying yourself all the time, and you may not like it. You may complain to the Lord after you've had a self denial session, but you did it. And I really think that with the mother, that's true. Now it's interesting. The father, in the case of the baby that cries at three a.m. In many marriages, if he's even there in the house, because we know a lot of homes no longer have a father. You know, they've fled everything, fled all responsibility. But if he's there, it's very hard for him to get up. I think the mother's kind of a portrait of a proper way to deny the self. And I think the father's a portrait of how the fallen human being is. (laughs) So, So how does the father do it? And the way it works out in marriages today among young people more than in my baby boomer generation, but still, you kind of make agreements. You and the wife agree. You have, maybe you have separate roles. And, but, you, you know, in the old days, in the 50s, in the 40s, the father's agreement was, I will earn the money. I will take care of this family. And the mother might say, and I will take care of the baby at 3 in the morning. Because maybe she's a nursing mother and she's the only one that can, for one thing. But the, these kind of agreements, I think, are also a picture of how we can deny the self. We can we can say to some degree, I can't. It's just not in my natural ability to do this. However, I will find a way to be a team player with God. I, I think, in a real sense, that the person who denies himself is the is the one who forgets about denying himself because he's so focused on the Lord and so focused on serving the saints. That's the real denial, just like the mother you're talking about. She's she's not focused on her suffering or on, on the price she's paying. She's focused on caring for that child. That's a real denial denial of, of yourself, I think. Now, in, in, yeah. in the first segment, I basically what I was doing was giving the principle. You know, the, the, and I, I just think it's so important for Christians to hear this word because it, you, you just don't hear this word much today. Uh, of what it really, of the fact we need to deny ourselves, we need to fall into the earth and die. But um, but that's only the principle. So how you apply that in experience, I think, Mark, is more along the lines of what you're saying. And it, it, Because we shouldn't have the concept that to deny ourselves means we do things we don't like. I, I don't yeah. think that's what it means. <clears throat> right. And, uh, so the question is, practically, how does that work out? And I, I, I was helped very much early on 
as a believer by a couple things brothers, different brothers told me. One brother, he quoted uh, uh, Psalm 16 about how uh, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Uh, in other words, the Lord, he knows how he made us. And what he's trying to do is to bring us into the function he created us for. So another thing that somebody, another brother said to me was, the Lord always honors what's in our heart. Mm-hmm. If we have a desire that's in our heart, uh, the Lord's going to honor that because he's the one who put it there. If it's really genuine, if it's really something in our heart. Now, I'll just give an example. I was thinking of this example earlier. Now, years ago, I took this uh, uh, computer course. Uh, actually, we were studying COBOL. This was like 1990. Uh, that tells you how long ago that was. And mm-hmm. there was this woman in the class. She was also a believer. Anne was her name, a dear sister in the Lord. And she was telling me one day how she had a kind of a consecration to the Lord that she was going to go be a missionary. And uh, she just thought that's what she was she was going to do. But then she got, she took a job and was involved in business. And she said to me, I found out I was good at it. And she just liked doing it. Well, denying yourself in that case is not does not mean, okay, even though I like it, that's what I really want to do. I'm going to go be a missionary. I would say the real denial of yourself there is to give up that vow of being a missionary if the Lord, because it seems like the Lord has called you to serve him in some kind of career, if that's what is really fitting for you. So that, that to me is the real denial of the self. It's not, it's, so we shouldn't have the thought, denying myself means I am doing what I'm, uh, I don't want to do. That's not, that's not what denying yourself is talking about. It's about setting aside your thought about what you should do and allowing the Lord to bring you into what he has prepared you to do. Yes. So I don't know, Mark, if that's helpful. If that. Yes, I think that you're touching on the topic of asceticism. And asceticism, maybe everybody doesn't know that word, it's kind of a self-flagellation. You, you beat yourself into submission. It's, Suffering for its own sake, li- right? For its own, Well, not maybe, some may, but it could also be to subdue the self to get control. Like in Eastern religions, a lot of times, you know, you've, we have these stereotypical pictures, which basically are based and rooted in truth, is someone would maybe stare at a wall for so many hours or days even, lie on a bed of nails, do something that's really tough, sleep in a terrible uh, place that um, is uh, cold and harsh to kind of subdue the flesh, to subdue the de- desires. I believe the famous church father, I almost hesitate to mention this, or- Origen, and that's how you pronounce it, Dave, I checked, um, Origen, he um, he tried to do what Jesus taught, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. And eventually, you know, if you're right, I offend thee, pluck it out type thing, he actually mutilated himself mm. because he couldn't control certain desires. And after this happened, that's when the Lord, op- he realized, no, I'm, I'm not understanding this correctly. He's not calling for that. And Origen, he he was, by the way, condemned as a heretic by some because he took the Old Testament, which was the scripture of the day, all allegorically. I think we talked about him in a previous show. But he he really did open up something. What he did that's a miracle is, and the way he started to read the Old Testament is, he opened it up to the new Christians. The new believers suddenly thought, hey, there is value in this old Jewish law book. And uh, these Gentiles, the Greeks that you mentioned, who had to see the glory of Christ— 
they had to we didn't want, they didn't want to throw away the scripture so what origen did whether he went too far and he did in his allegorical interpretations it was helpful but he went through that period where he was an ascetic an extreme ascetic and eventually he realized no and um I've even read uh, some a brother, Mark Diedrich, he was in Chicago. I, he wrote a, a just a simple little booklet, and I got a hold of it somehow, and he talked about bright lights and God's recoveries over the years, and he mentioned that he did biographies of saints. And, and my wife and I read these biographies, short, but almost all these brothers, strong brothers of the past, like I don't can't remember which ones in particular they were. One might have been Wycliffe, but a lot of these brothers— Overly were too overly harsh on themselves and died too soon. Mm. They um, they physically abused themselves, and I think that um, that's a there's a kind of asceticism. I think Satan uses that in this topic you're discussing. I think he uses this thought. You need to deny that. You know, you read these verses I read in Colossians. I was reading this morning about that, and Paul says, "Put aside all these things and." And if you read them a certain way, you think, I can't do it. Like a lot of young men just can't put aside their lusts, can't put aside their, they just don't know how to deal with it. And um, so it can drive you, you know, you get this thought, this is the only way I have to, I have to beat myself into submission. No. So I want to say another uh, thing that came to me years ago, I was leading a Bible study in the book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. And it really struck me that that both Saul, the first king of the Jews, and David, the second king of the Jews, were both anointed by God. <laughs> and David was private. His anointing was hidden. Saul didn't know there was another anointed king while he was serving his, his term. And he didn't trust David. But Saul was publicly anointed by Samuel, and Saul uh, went on to be a terrible king. Although his ending is interesting, I, there's a certain thing about Saul I do kind of like. But anyway, as we were going through this Bible study, I began to see something. Saul's a picture of the self, the way we're born, and it is anointed by God. Every kid, I have seven grandchildren right now, they've all been anointed with self. <laughs> they love oh, the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, my wife and I were taking a walk, and we stopped at our daughter and son-in-law's house, to uh, deliver something, and the little four-year-old boy, Lawrence, came to the door, and he said, oh, I got something. And he ran back in and came out with a truck that we had loaned him that uh, that he was supposed to return. And it was very touching that he had thought about it, and he found it and mm. brought it to us. But we're just beginning a late-night walk. We like to do this. And we had this truck, and we're a block from our house now, so should we backtrack and all and so Lawrence's dad, our son-in-law, Luke, said, well, Lawrence, they're going on a walk. Maybe we'll give it to him later. And I could tell Lawrence was troubled because he had one thing in his mind. In, in Lawrence's world, we need to take that truck now. So after a little deliberation, I said, we'll just take it. We're fine. And so we carried that <laughs> truck with us the entire walk. But his world, he's just it's from his own point of view. Even when he's virtuous, like giving returning the truck, he's still his own on his own terms. And uh, that's how we're all made. We're made self-character. And God, my belief, God anointed that. He, like he had Samuel anoint Saul. Now, if you read it, it's complicated. God didn't like that Jews demanding a king. He said, I'm your king. But anyway, he gave them their, what they wanted, and they found out what it was. But it, he was anointed. But then, privately, he anointed David. 
And that, to me, as I was going through this Bible study a number of years ago, it struck me. That's when we're our rebirth. And there's a new king. So there's two kings, anointed kings, but only one throne. And denying the self really is a picture of getting rid of Saul off the throne, moving, removing Saul from the throne, and mm. putting David on the throne. And as you has, have said earlier, there's really only one way by dying. And Saul had to die. And David didn't try to go in too soon. David didn't try to proclaim the throne. He had chances to kill Saul, didn't do it. But eventually Saul dies, and now David can be king. And so I think, to me, there was a strong picture there. How do you deny the self? If you read, just read the story of David and Saul, you realize it's complicated. Yeah. It's very complicated. And even Jesus, when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, he said, who's your neighbor and all that at the end. And in the end, you think, Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. That's the the law hangs on it. Who can do it? Do you, Dave, I'm asking you personally. Do you love your neighbor no. equally to you loving yourself? No. I have to fess up. <laughs> you, no, right. <laughs> do you think there's a single human being? You right. said Margaret Barber, you told her story and Margaret I've read her story and she's very interesting. Great picture of what you were doing, talking about. Do you think she loved her neighbor equal to herself? What do you think? Well, she was she was a real servant of the Lord. I and the way she forsook everything to go to China is very impressive. I I, I don't yeah. know. I wouldn't know the answer to that. Yeah. I'd yeah. Well, afraid, I guess we shouldn't we shouldn't rate we shouldn't yeah. do, measure others in that yeah. regard. But I'm telling you, my view is I'm a bit by nature. God made me a a cynic as well as an <laughs> optimist and a And my view is nobody yeah. has ever fulfilled that except one. Well, that's yeah, that's true for sure, for sure. So, so if Jesus is the one, when he says it, he knows it. Yeah. I think we got to think, how do we do this? And again, back to Colossians, Paul said, put on the new man. You know, so, I was, um, just, I just reminded you, speaking, Mark, about an <clears throat> experience I had uh, a number of years ago. But before I, I mention that, I, I do want to, we had a, I had a comment from a, a listener, praise the Lord, and this is hap- some, happens to be someone very close to me, I'll be honest about it. But uh, we were talking about reading the Bible, and her comment was uh, uh, a very good option is to read Proverbs day by day. Mm. I think this is she's speaking about for those maybe who aren't <clears throat> who aren't Christians. Pick up the book of Proverbs. I think that's a good idea, right? That uh, to go back to this topic yeah. of how to start reading the Bible, just read a chapter of Proverbs every day because that's just like a general wisdom, and it, it, again, it gets you into the habit of picking up the Bible day by day. I think it's a very good suggestion, really. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree totally. Yeah, and I think and you can go I through the Book of Proverbs in one month. There's 31 chapters, so yeah. 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 Well, I heard a brother once say, a brother who I respected, he said, "I don't read the Bible as much as a lot of brothers." He said, "But I think the Bible," and um, of course, you can't think it if you don't know it. Yeah, and he right. knew it. <laughs> he knew it from his years in the past. But I think this idea of musing, when Jesus in John chapter 6 says, eat my body, drink my blood, is a hard word for the people. Um, a lot of it, he says, my words are yeah. spirit and life. He Amen. basically says, he's saying, eat the, my words. Amen. And how do you do that? I think you need to think them. Amen. I, I Amen. really am a deep believer in thinking. So, like, I just, you know, even listening to your show this morning makes me think. One of the reasons Amen. to listen to any message is it makes you think of these higher thoughts that take you outside of yourself. Amen. And that's a denial of the self. Amen. Just to read the Word is to deny the self. Mm. I, if Amen. you just do that one verse or read the Proverbs, if you just do them, you are denying the self during that mm. time. 
Now, I just want just to finish up uh, because we only have a minute or two left. Uh, I, I mentioned I, I was reminded of an experience. I was thinking of a, a time. This is a brother who uh, we've, we've both received a lot of help from. Titus Chu came to Chicago. And there was just a few of us at this in one afternoon who had a time to be with him. This is a brother we've, like I say, we've gotten a lot of help from. And we were fellowshiping with him and taking the chance to answer some, ask some questions. And one sister asked, how do I know whether I'm serving in my natural strength or in the spirit? And Titus's answer really impressed me. He said, uh, he said he didn't even care. <laughs> it just shocked me when he said that. And, uh, Eventually, he explained, he says, because what's natural is going to be consumed eventually, and then the Spirit will come forth. And I think, ultimately, that's how we deny ourselves, and that we just have to go through that process. And I've always appreciated that. It's a very, very practical word, and that's, that's maybe a, a good word here to end on. Mark, we just have a few seconds left if you want to uh, add a, a closing well, I'm, thought. I say amen to that. I love That was a beautiful. I'm glad to hear that story. <laughs> that's why, Yeah, that's why I wanted to get that in. I think it was very, very, very practical. I wish we had more time, but uh, but we don't. But uh, anyway, uh, thank you, Mark, for coming on today, and we will see you sh- shortly. Amen. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Bye. Mark. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Lord willing, we will talk with you again next week. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.